So this episode is for anyone who wants to be able to crush young talent to squash the potential of the latest generation of what appear to be incredible thinkers, philosophers, entrepreneurs, creators, and builders of things. And anyone who wants to squash that, keep them down, suppress them, give them mental fatigue and anxiety. Uh, I've got all the tips and tricks here. (laughs) Now, there's a uh, famous uh, Silicon Valley uh, investor by the name of Chris Dixon. Um, His stock's going up right now and good on him. Now, he wrote a piece a while ago around how the next big thing tends to look like a toy. So if you think about the internet, cryptocurrencies, um, gaming, TikTok, I mean, YouTube used to be cat videos. We so often laugh and, um, you know, the famous words, um, what is it? I think Blockbuster said to Netflix, it's the title of the the Netflix book by Mark Randolph, that will never work. Um, We always, the next big thing always looks like a gimmick. People don't think it's serious. Uh, When, uh, I think a good example is Atlassian, one of the premier kind of Australian startups. Back when uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks and Josh Farquhar were starting Atlassian, entrepreneur entrepreneurship in Australia, it's like 20 years ago, was not what it is now. It was much more of a gimmick. It was unusual. It was uh, out there. And uh, I think we've seen that with so many different technologies, but also different types of jobs that you can have in society. I think it's the dynamic you always see in films that have a very traditional family. And then the child wants to break out and do something that is not in the conventional, the spectrum of conventional career paths. A great example would be something like Bender like Beckham. I can't remember the protagonist's name, but the young girl wanting to play soccer comes from an Indian background and is is expected to just uh, fall into an arranged marriage. Um, You know, it's kind of bring, uh, not honor, but I'm thinking of Milan, but uh, bring respect Uh, in the community to the family that is the value system that the parents have inhabited inherited that's their worldview that's where they think value lies and they try to um, I guess hand that over and uh, pass that on and I guess their desires for their children of them to succeed within that paradigm and framework that they've inherited and that is the dynamic which always creates these rebellious uh, teens and, but also on a, on a bigger scale outside of the atomic family, rebellious technologies and trends. So we need to understand now that we always have a particular worldview and the progressive people who are normally younger adopt the new trends. They adopt the new things, the next layer of technology, the next layer of progress. And to us, it often looks like toys. It often looks ridiculous. To give you a very clear example, the play-to-earn movement. Um, I'm not sure how deep you guys are into the worlds of all things Web3, cryptocurrency, and online gaming, but there is a huge uh, innovation happening now with um, play-to-earn, they call it, where you're actually able to go participate in certain guilds and parts of gaming uh, ecosystems where you can actually earn uh, currency you get paid literally to participate and play games as part of a guild. This is, I'm not talking about being an elite gaming streamer on Twitch with hundreds of thousands of viewers or on YouTube. I'm talking you right now could literally go to, a good example is YGG, Yield Guild Games. If you have a meta wallet, um, you can sign up and join now. No followers or anything, just participation. Whereas when I was growing up, gaming was seen as this ridiculous tangent, a distraction from study. Now it's emerging into what will be a very viable means of income 
for large, large portions of the global population in the next decades, which is just ridiculous. You would not have picked it. And this is the funny thing. It's the things you don't pick. There's a great book called The Fourth Turning by Neil Howe and William Strauss, um, which unpacks the four different generational archetypes and the time periods that we actually cycle through. It's very fascinating. Each lasts about 20 years, meaning that the, the four turnings reset every 80 years or so. I won't go into the specifics, but the concept is that, again, we are always locked into a worldview that's dominated by that 20-year period we grew up, and we're following trends that have been repeating for thousands of years, documented by historians like these guys, in our thinking, and we struggle to break that. History is very cyclical. It's not so much this, just this straight line that continues going forward. And uh, I think that's fascinating. Being aware of that and acknowledging that is really important because then you start to give young people this freedom. So a very tangible, relatable example day to day is the, uh, I guess I talked about it in the previous episodes around some of those three, the three examples of young teen entrepreneurs right now who's still getting pressure to go to university, who some of them have gone to university um, decide to leave school early, already figured out university is not a place where they're really going to learn. The point of those conventional career pathways everyone keeps pushing people towards, well, that they actually deliver less value to their overall economy and to moving society forward. There's people willing to take the risks to embrace the new things that we need to lead us, and we're trying to push them away from it because we haven't recognized and validated it yet because we don't have the perspective and ability. By we, I mean, not necessarily me. I think I'm not doing too bad, but in saying that, we all can't lose, we can't lose track and it'll, it'll be our turn. Uh, it'll be my turn when I'm uh, 50 years old to be stubborn and short-sighted too, and I acknowledge that. I often use the high jump metaphor, that the, the games of, say, if you want to call it entrepreneurship and innovation and real creativity and artistic freedom was seen as games with bars that were way too high. It was hard to become a filmmaker. It was hard to become an entrepreneur in the 1960s or the 80s, especially when, say, this generation's parents were growing up. The things that were still quite high but a bit more achievable were university-backed, kind of college-backed pathways. But what's happened, because of those spaces of innovation, um, the barrier to entry has become lower. So imagine the bars getting lowered of that high jump game. And now it's easier to get, get in there, get in the first round, if not easier than actually getting into a lot of degrees. So it's easier to set up a business online, set up, not make thrive and make millions of dollars, mind you, than it is to get into, say, a commerce degree or a medicine degree. Um, there's YouTube now democratizes people creep becoming filmmakers. You can, you know, it's... You can bypass all the, the, the structure of um, production companies and funding and approval and distribution. And you can use platforms like TikTok and YouTube to share your video content with the world. As an author and a writer, I'm blown away that it doesn't cost me anything to put a book up and start selling it on Amazon, on KDP. This has changed over time. It used to be very hard. You needed to go bypass the gatekeepers. You needed the agent, the, the, uh, the publisher. Now you can self-publish. So the games are changing. So if you want to crush a generation of young talent, 
Keep pushing them towards the old games, the ones that seem familiar and safe. Don't let them pick up and play with toys because there's very few toys in this day and age that can't turn into very viable income streams and contribution streams.